This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Good morning. It's Tuesday, October the 18th, 2022. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown coming to you on AMI-tv. If you're ready, I'm ready. Let's hit the horns and go. Coming up on the show today, the federal government has unveiled their Disability Inclusion Action Plan. Megan Gilmore will take a closer look. Not to mention, Megan Gilmore was at an event last night, rubbing shoulders, hobnobbing. She has a little bit of breaking news to share with us as well. A little bit later in the show, with municipal elections scheduled this month in Ontario, Dorothy McNaughton discussed connecting the dots events happening across the country. We'll get the lowdown with Wayne Henschel. But let's begin the show with our top story of the day. And once again, we begin with the public inquiry into the use of the Emergencies Act. Ottawa City Manager Steve Kanalakis. Integrated team was based on um, through the weekend and maybe into the following week till Wednesday was the initial assessment heading into that first weekend. There wasn't an assessment that said it would go longer than that. Kanalakis says the staff were relying on information from local police. It wasn't unusual to have a variance in the views of people who thought it was going to be bigger, longer, smaller. There were all kinds of opinions on what that would be. The only information we could rely on was the Ottawa police in terms of reliable information at that time. Outgoing Ottawa Mayor Jim Watson will testify today, and outgoing Councillor Diane Deans is also expected to testify after Watson. Deans chaired the local police services board during the protest and was ousted from the role after the federal emergency was declared. And even though he wasn't testifying at the public inquiry, Ontario Premier offered his thoughts on the proceedings. Premier Doug Ford says he supports the measures taken by the federal government to end the Freedom Convoy protests. Ford says the protests escalated to a level that was disruptive to not only Canada, but the U.S. as well. We've worked collaboratively with with the mayor and the the prime minister over at the borders. They were holding up a billion dollars of trade every single day getting across our borders. We were getting phone calls from governors. It's unacceptable. Let's follow up on on an international story that I shared with you yesterday. The head of the United Nations says conditions in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, continue to deteriorate. Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez says conditions warrant armed UN intervention. In the present circumstances, we need an armed action to release the port and to allow for a humanitarian corridor to be established. Clean water is currently scarce and the country is dealing with a cholera outbreak. U.S. Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield urged global leaders to provide any assistance. Colleagues, if there was ever a moment to come to the aid of Haitians in our need, it is now. Faced with extreme violence and instability, Haiti's leaders and people are crying out for help. The United States and Mexico say they are preparing a resolution that would authorize an international assistance mission to help improve security. Canada has sent armored vehicles to help protect supply convoys. Let's move on to a different international story. Ottawa has announced more sanctions on Russia. Brenda Molina-Navidad has the details. 
Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie says the new sanctions apply to 34 people in a television network run by Russia's defense ministry. The federal government is calling them propaganda agents. Melanie Jolie says Canada is targeting those responsible for Russian disinformation as the war in Ukraine nears the nine-month mark. She says those added to the sanctions list have tried to justify Russia's attempts to annex parts of Ukraine and will be barred from dealings with Canada. Brenda Molina Navidad, the Canadian Press. And let's get you one more story here, a little bit more domestic, and it's going to relate to our daily polls in just a moment. Environment Minister Stephen Guibo says there is more work to do with banks after another round of carbon tax rebates went out to Canadians without making it clear why they were receiving the money. So let's have Mia Rabson explain. The most recent round of rebates landed in bank accounts in the Prairies and Ontario on Friday. But as with the last payment in July, many people receiving them will have no idea what the money is for. The federal government has asked banks to label the deposits as the climate action incentive, but many of them didn't do that. Some of the deposits were as vague as just the words federal payment. Gilbo says it is crucially important that Canadians are clearly informed about the rebates so they fully understand the carbon pricing system and how it affects them. Mia Rabson, The Canadian Press, Ottawa. Number one, I need to check my mailbox when I get home because I don't let the government direct deposit into my bank account. I still take checks because I'm old school like that. Number two, this is going to relate to our daily polls. But before we get to today's question, let's recap yesterday's results at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Yesterday we asked you, would you buy a smartphone that is built to last for 10 years? Looks like uh, you guys went the other way from the consensus we drew on the show because 80% of you said yes and 20% of you said no. Today's daily poll at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. The federal government wants banks to more clearly label carbon tax rebates when they are direct deposited. Do you think banks should comply? Yes or no? Let me give you a sneak preview of my answer. No, not at all. It's not a bank's responsibility to help a government brand why they're giving tax rebates. That's the government's job. I watch so much TV and I see a public service announcement every commercial break from some level of government. Use those. Radio ads, TV ads, internet ads. You're the government. You make the PSAs. You have to do the messaging. It's not the bank's job to do your job for you. Alex Smythe, what do you think? Yeah, you know, Dave, I was thinking about this and most of the government like checks that you receive are are pretty pretty clear on what they are. You know whether it was like the Trillium Fund or it's a, a tax rebate or this or that. So I figured you know why not just extend it to say okay carbon rebate. I mean most of them already say it. If you get the check, typically you do. This is just a direct depositing uh, focus and. You know, it doesn't hurt the banks to do anything. And I know why the government wants to do it, because, you know, it helps, as you mentioned, spread the message, gives that awareness of this is why you're getting this money back. So when, you know, politicians are talking about, oh, cabin, uh, carbon rebates and, and, and taxes and how it impacts the public. Yeah, this is this is a direct correlation between this. This is how you are impacted uh, with that. So I, I think, yeah, banks should. Uh, should comply to this request because they do it with pretty much everything else. So I, I don't see really what the harm is from the bank doing it this way. This isn't like a 
political partisan issue. This is just clearly labeled why we're giving out the oh, money instead of just saying federal. It's a little bit partisan, Alex. Like even if even it, if I believe yes. that the carbon tax is legitimate, a legitimate thing, it's political. Like it, it's well, political it, messaging. It's, it's the same thing when Donald Trump put his name on the checks that went out before an election in the U.S. Yes, but it's the bank is not taking a political stance one way or the other by just clearly labeling it. It, it whether you're getting the carbon check you can argue that's a political issue and you can understand why the government wants it to be clear where they uh, where the money is coming from and why they're receiving the money but you're already getting the money why not just put the label on <laughs> that's it? fair okay i'll i'll grant you, know, you that, that. That's the, the money's yeah. going out anyway and it's yeah. a couple it's a couple keystrokes in a computer just uh just go uh, play along i i get what you're saying yeah. i i i i respect your position eliza rocco what do you think well, I get a direct deposit from um, these things from the government, and I swear I never get any explanation at all. It's just deposit Canada or Fed. Here's some federal money. Yeah, like, whether it's your tax refund or a yeah, carbon tax or whatever it is. Never anything at all, and whether it's the bank labeling it, which I would find very helpful. I do understand it, it falls on the government ultimately, but I don't have cable TV. I don't see. I haven't seen a single one of these ads. I had no idea. Oh, that's my why point. I was getting this money. That, that's my point. That I'm watching all these PSAs on TV, and oh, I'm never, ever, see, ever see. seeing these ads like yeah. doing this messaging. Right? <laughs> they can say, "Oh, we need to message." this to Canadians. Well, yes, you do. It's your yeah. job. I mean, I was I was I was happy to get this money in my bank account oh, yeah, on Friday, but I saw Deposit <laughs> Canada and I said, "Okay, I don't know I don't know what this is beyond that." Cash infusion. Yeah, I mean, it w- it would be very nice to know uh, where this money is coming from. I would like that. <laughs> Maybe it can happen one day. One day, one day. Eliza, thank you for this. We thank appreciate you. your thoughts on it. At Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc on Facebook. That's where you vote on the poll. Look at us wading into the carbon tax at least indirectly so i know that's going to get everybody's hackles up so here comes the uh positive mail and the hate mail and everything in between actually you know what let me give you the feedback lines seeing as how we're touching on controversial stuff feedback at ami.ca is the email address feedback at ami.ca or you can give us a ring ding ding on the old telephone 166 no that's not right 1866 509 4545 5094545. I almost gave you an incomplete number right there. Then you would have tried to punch it in. You would have said, ah, Dave, I'm always giving bad information. My information is 99.8% solid. And when I'm recklessly speculating, I tell you. You know it's going to be solid. The National Weather Update. Thanks for setting me up, Dave, because weather is always an absolute never uh, percentage game. But regardless, this is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Ganda. Starting in St. John's, Newfoundland, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of showers and a high of 14. Over in Halifax, Nova Scotia, it's mainly cloudy and with rain and possible thunderstorms expected with a high of 21. In Montreal, Quebec, it's rained this morning but clearing up in the afternoon in a high of 11. Over to Ottawa, Ontario, it's a mix of sunny clouds with a chance of showers and 10 is the high. To Toronto, Ontario, it's cloudy with rain expected this afternoon in a high of eight. Thunder Bay, Ontario, it's cloudy, wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour in a high of six. In Winnipeg, Manitoba, it's sunny 
but it's only a high of three degrees. In Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, it's warmer, it's sunny, and a high of 20. The trend continues as we make our way to Calgary, Alberta, where it's sunny and a high of 24. Up in Edmonton, Alberta, it's a mix of sun and clouds, with the clouds clearing out by noon and a high of 20. Over to Yellowknife Northwest Territories. It's a mix of sunny clouds becoming sunny this afternoon and a high of nine. In Vancouver, BC, it's a mix of sun and clouds clearing this afternoon, clearing this afternoon, excuse me, and becoming hazy. Because of that haze, there is a special air quality statement in effect due to smoke in the area. The high is 18. And finally, in Victoria, BC, it's mainly sunny, but they also have that special air quality statement in effect due to the smoke, and 17 is the high. That was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Look at me getting that nice old frog in my throat once again earlier in the show. Hold on one second. I'm going to do a little throat clear. Beautiful. Beautiful. See, I turned the mic off for that. Coming up next, the CNIB has a series of connecting the dots events happening across the country. We'll get the lowdown with Wayne Henschel. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. We've been talking about the CNIB connecting the dots events for ooh, a couple of months now on the lead up. And now they're happening throughout the course of the month across the country, virtually and in person. Connecting the dots events are going on. These are the largest educational and professional development conference for the blind and partially sighted community in Canada. So let's talk a bit more about what's happened and what is happening with Wayne Henshaw. Wayne is part of the Connecting the Dots Steering Committee and is also the head of Come to Work and Impact Evaluation at CNIB. Wayne, great to chat with you once again. Thank you so much for making the time. Thanks for having me today. So you've got all kinds of areas of focus because these are large-scale events. We're talking about things like education, technology, employment. So when you're putting together a conference like this, how do you start drilling down and focusing on those things when the scope is so wide? Yeah, uh, I think it's really important that you you take a pulse of where your community is at. So, so from our standpoint, we always orient from what is the community, what is the environment that we're in, what what things have changed. Right uh, over the past two years, we've had to go totally virtual, and this year we said, okay, are we going to be able to do virtual as well as in person? Because what we learned from our experiences, even though COVID was was not the uh, the best experience overall, I would say for everyone, but it also draw, drew attention to the the fact that we have to make things be accessible to not uh, to everywhere. Not everyone can get to Toronto or get to Montreal mm-hmm. or get to Calgary mm-hmm. to do an in-person event. So we need to continue and, and we've adopted that word hybrid, which means, hey, the connecting the dots is going to be a hybrid model where we can connect all Canadians from the sight loss community to come and, and learn and, and see what's going on in, in their community, but also to see what is happening from an educational standpoint, from the technology changes, from the employment changes of how, how are employers approaching this world of hybrid work. And it's daunting when you think about it, right? When you think about, okay, how are we going to 
and engage these uh, these folks, both the participants, the the, the community members uh, that are that are coming out to this, but also the partners, because all of us are still trying to learn what is that going to be as we go forward. So what are some of the conversations that have been had already and that are continuing to happen? I know there are a series of events here and not every single event is going to be the same, but they're not entirely different. So what are some of the conversations that are already being had at these events? Yeah, so so we started off last week, uh, last Wednesday, we did uh, Montreal uh, and we did it at the Deloitte uh, offices in uh, downtown Montreal. So uh, Deloitte has uh, uh, offered the venue for us and, and this was the ability for people to be connected and hey, just like anyone else and, and not off on the side, off in some separate location, we're going in and we're engaging in our conference at a place of business. And so we, we added at, at Deloitte last week uh, in Montreal. And as we were working through the various topics, we then said, okay, now let's look at what is meaningful to the uh, Montreal and, and, and French community on, on topics of things like accessibility. So we had, uh, we had uh, presenters from Microsoft talking about what is under the hood, what is, what is built into their products and services from an accessibility standpoint so that both community members, but also other partner organizations could learn, wait a second, that's built in so we can be leveraging that. It's not that misconception out there where it, I'm going to have to buy something extra to, in order to engage or support an individual from the site loss community. So mm. it's those types of themes that we worked into. And then we culminate the the events or the activities with a networking event. And, and we had individuals uh, come out to the networking and and practice because we're all out of practice I, I don't know about you but i'm out of practice <laughs> oh going out and, and having a conversation with someone that's face to face like we were actually standing uh not six feet apart or through a virtual screen but actually having a conversation and, and talking about what is the organization looking for what are the attributes what are the transferable skills and then having the community members talk about their experiences and maybe they haven't got uh the uh, uh, an actual experience, work experience, but uh, seeing how people could demonstrate how their volunteer activities have have created transferable skills. So as we as we evolve the theme of the, of the conference and, and lead into uh, today is actually the virtual French National uh, is start, is kicking off here at 10 a.m. and then um, Thursday we have the Toronto event. And that's where we're uh, talking about things like transferable transitions as you go from education into uh, the world of work. How do you take that experience of education and, and teaming collaboration and demonstrate that as part of your uh, application towards a job or, or your first job or maybe a skills transition if, if you've gone through, uh, through a, a transition from one industry to another? Mm. Firstly, you are right. Even before the pandemic, my networking skills were bad. If you put me in a room now to glad hand and work the room, forget it, Wayne. It's over. It's it's not going to happen. That skill has dissipated from my brain. It's going to take some serious practice to get it going. But it really seems like in both the examples you cited there, it's very tangible takeaways, right? The techno technological takeaway of what's under the hood at Microsoft. In the case of the Toronto event, what does a transition look like and what does a successful transition look like? These are tangible takeaways for people. And Wayne, I know that putting together the connecting the dots events is a huge area of your work. It's a huge focus of your work, but how do they fit into the overall work that you do as sort of a continuation or a continuum of the work that you and the CNIB is already doing? 
Yeah, it's a it's a great point because what we what we look at is the intersection of those three pillars of connecting the dots: education, technology, and employment. Because one can't stand on its own; they all are enablers uh, towards the success of an individual. So, speaking as a community member myself, I look at how do I leverage the technology and the emerging technology. So. Coming up uh, uh, next week uh, in the uh, virtual English uh, event, we actually have Apple coming in and talking about the iOS 16 and the accessibility functions that are built into that uh, env environment. So we're very uh, proud to have the, the Apple team talking about that and, 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 and sharing that with the wider community because because I, I don't know about you all, but you get pushed out this software update and I'm always pausing. I go, hmm, <laughs> I just got used to what I was using before and now they're going to change things and I got to, okay, how's the, my voiceover going to work with that? Or how's my talkback going to work if you're on your Android? So so as you look at that and, and you look at, okay, the culmination that Connecting the Dots brings about, it gives us the, a platform by which we can engage with the community, engage with our partners to bring to the forefront what is emerging, right? What is emerging and, and what is, is uh, current and relevant in, in today's time. So I've, I've spoken about the Microsoft uh, last week. Uh, they'll be doing, a, because the Toronto event is actually hosted at the Microsoft uh, headquarters in downtown Toronto. And then Calgary next week is actually hosted at Smart Life. So we did three different types mm. of of environments in our in-person so that we can learn that. And as we go forward, we can apply what did we learn from each of those things into our programming. When you look at CNIB's programming, and I am uh, the head of the Come to Work program, we're looking and continuing to evolve our programming that supports individuals that are going through career transitions and skills transitions. So that's what we do. And it's not just wing. I am part of a, of a, of a larger group, right? Uh, but each of us as program leads or program heads are looking at how do we evolve our programming in support of those missions and objectives. Wayne, as you mentioned, these are partially hybrid events, or they are hybrid events. So just because it's too late to hop on a VR rail train to Toronto for uh, for this week, or maybe the WestJet to Calgary next week, how can somebody learn more, potentially get involved and get signed up to be part of the virtual side of this? Absolutely. You can go right on to cnib.ca and uh, right on our main page, there is uh, connecting the dots. We still have the ability to register for the virtual uh, which uh, virtual English, which is happening next Tuesday, so the 25th of, uh, of October. And you could uh, participate and learn from all those various uh, vendors. So we have the vendor alleys and exhibitors that are, that are putting up their, their virtual booths that you can then uh, learn about their programs and initiatives. And then the sessions that are being delivered during uh, those, uh, that uh, virtual uh, event activity uh, uh, can be uh, participated in live, or you can actually follow up afterwards and, and listen to them at your leisure. Wayne, it's no small feat to put together an event that spans across three cities and the World Wide Web. Congratulations to you and your colleagues for putting on an amazing event here and a lot of interesting conversations. Keep up the excellent work. Thanks very much. Have a great day. That's Wayne Henshaw, member of the Connecting the Dots Steering Committee, as well as the head of Come to Work and Impact Evaluation at the CNIB. Coming up next, the federal government has unveiled their Disability Inclusion Action Plan. Megan Gilmore will take a closer look. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Karen Rebo with your Morning Business Minute. 
Canada's main stock index closed up 1.6% in Monday trading, ahead of the latest inflation data due to be released by StatsCan on Wednesday. Toronto's TSX index gained 294 points at 18,621. New York's Dow Jones average climbed 550 points and the Nasdaq added 354. On Asian markets this morning, Japan's Nikkei index surged 380 points and our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 72.92 cents U.S. A new study estimates the emissions financed in 2020 by eight of Canada's largest financial institutions totaled around 1.9 billion tons. The report by Oxfam Canada says the total is more than double the total carbon footprint of Canada as a whole. The report builds on studies which have highlighted the dollar figures banks have directed towards fossil fuel funding that run into the hundreds of billions. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Karen Rebo. Welcome back. It's Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Since September of 2020, before Now with Dave Brown even existed, when this lovely Studio 5 was hosting live from Studio 5 and I was on sick leave, we've been discussing the federal government's plan to create a National Disability Inclusion Action Plan. Well, the plan is here. It was unveiled officially on October the 8th. Our accessibility reporter, Megan Gilmore, is here to talk about what the plan includes. Hey, good morning, Megan. Good morning, Dave. I think you were back from your leave by the time mm, we started talking it was about this. after Thanksgiving in October of 2020. So, so oh, I was, wow. But now that's, that said, we were certainly talking about this in October of 2020 as well. So I feel we've just been talking about this all the time. Like if we had a dollar for every time. We'd have like $15. Megan, (laughs) before we get into the Disability Inclusion Action Plan, you were Mm -hmm. out there working it last night as a journalist, rubbing shoulders and rubbing elbows and getting the inside scoop. You've got a little bit of breaking news for us here this morning. Yes. So Bill C-22, which is the bill to create the Canada Disability Benefit, was at second reading Uh, Earlier this week, it was brought up again for debate. And last night, debate on the bill collapsed, which means that the House of Commons has decided to stop debating it. And the next vote, which should hopefully be today, will be to bring that bill to committee, which, as we've discussed previously on the show, is where it will be debated, where witnesses will be called to discuss the topic of disability poverty and where any substantial changes can be made to the bill before it comes back for third reading. So this is a big moment if it gets passed to committee. Uh, I know there's been a lot of discussion out there about like what changes can or should be made. And that all comes down to committee discussions. Or perhaps the theme of what this entire conversation will be, details details within the bill which uh, we're talking about frameworks versus details and it can get very confusing and that's this is why people don't like politics megan let's uh, jump in back to the disability inclusion action plan even though we've probably got 15 to 20 dollars in our pocket for the dollar that we received every time we've talked about it give me the overview here what is the purpose of this Right. So as we've said, it was originally announced in the speech from the throne in September 2020 uh, under the title Disability Inclusion Plan. And then the government was like, oh, we need to make it sound like we're more active. So they put the word action in there later on. And it kind of at the time was 
sort of seen as this way to respond to the needs of Canadians with disabilities that had been raised during the pandemic. So this is also right after there was that little like one-time federal payment for Canadians with disabilities mm-hmm. that was widely panned, widely criticized, even by Minister Carla Culture herself. Um, so then this plan came out and it listed several areas that it would focus on, including financial security, employment, et cetera, et cetera. In September 2021, the federal government hosted like an online consultation asking people what they would think about the plan. Again, lots of debate around that. Some people loved it. Some people didn't. About 8,000 people responded. And now we finally have this inclusion action plan. So as the broad strokes of the plan are laid out on the website and press releases, what are the pillars that have been laid out here? What is the plan focusing on? Right. So uh, as you mentioned, the government likes to use the language of pillars for this. And there's four of them, financial security, employment, accessible and inclusive communities, and finally, a modern approach to disability. And then in the plan itself, each pillar section will uh, contain like three headings. So first, there's like a short paragraph about what the current reality is for people with disabilities in Canada as it relates to the topic of that pillar. And then a summary of what the government says it's heard during its consultations and roundtables. And then a list of actions that the federal government says that it's going to take to address the areas raised in this pillar. So let's talk about those actions. What are some of the things the the government says it's going to do? So financial security, uh, which is kind of seen as one of the main pillars, obviously underneath that is developing the Canada Disability Benefit. Uh, which we, which we just, we just talked about. Yeah, absolutely. So there is movement going on there. Um, and then also things like updating eligibility and improving access to the disability tax credit. Again, something that disability advocates and organizations have been calling on for decades. And then like doing more research into the additional costs of disability. We often say having a disability costs you more money, hence mm-hmm. financial security. Mm-hmm. Let's do research for that. Under employment, there's things like increasing funding for already existing uh, government funds that the Opportunities Fund. And then there's a lot of like strategies they want to create. So an employment strategy for persons with disabilities uh, and also a national veterans employment strategy. And then um, the law, creation, uh, creating a disability inclusion business council to, I, I suppose, help businesses discuss how they want to be inclusive. Under accessible and inclusive communities, a lot of that is things like built environment. So uh, a big one actually is looking at the accessibility of shelters for people who are fleeing gender-based violence, often women fleeing domestic violence. Uh, many of those shelters are inaccessible for people mm, with physical disabilities, mm-hmm. and that's, that's a concern that's been being raised for years. But also funding for CELA. Um, an organization that we have on this program all the time. Yeah, let me, let, let me unpack there. the acronym, Center for Equitable Library Access, yes. just in case people are tuning in for the first time. Yes, and then other things about renovation, construction, retrofitting uh, buildings. And then under the modern approach to disability, Dave, I thought of you as I was reading this, <laughs> working on the discussion of how a common definition of disability could be used across the government of Canada. Uh, I would suggest that the government of Canada go through our archives to see some of the discussions we've had about that topic. Yeah, we had a really, uh, we had a big one on that one in early 2021 about, about yes, modern modern versus old school definitions of disability, social versus medical definitions of disability. All these definitions, yes, the government 
missed it twice. And then things about like developing a disability data improvement strategy. And uh, there was a note about the Canadian Congress on Disability Inclusion. It was hosted for the first time this past May. That was actually when this plan was supposed to originally be released um, because of some delays. It wasn't released until earlier this month. It sounds like that Congress is going to be an ongoing thing. Megan, there's a lot there. I mean, even, even though there may be still some details lacking, there's still a lot there in terms of some principles and guiding principles for us to look at. For me, as I start examining this, mm-hmm. I do like the idea of separating the pillar of employment and financial security because I think that speaks to some of the vastness that exists across the disability community that so many times people will advocate and say jobs are the way out of disability disability and poverty or poverty related to disability. And the fact is it just doesn't take into account there are people who either can't work 40 hours a week or can't work at all, right? So mm-hmm. you need to start creating a, a simplified framework to make sure you're not leaving people in destitution because they can't work. But then the second aspect is employment and how those pillars work together matters because how many times are you and I talking about clawbacks on the air that somebody might want to work 10 or 15 hours a week while they're on some sort of government support, but by doing so, they're potentially compromising their supports, which puts people into a no-win situation. So to me, as I'm looking at those two pillars, those are the two that matter because if you can't solve those two, the other two aren't really going to matter. How you define disability doesn't matter if people are perpetually living in poverty. Right. No, I totally agree with you. Like, I think, and I say this all the time when I'm asked to speak about disability and journalism, and I have a disability, I'm a journalist, and what language do I prefer, blah, blah, blah. Oh, my gosh, yeah. <laughs> yes. And I tell people all the time that I understand the heart behind this question. I want to believe the best about you, that you're trying to be sensitive. I personally, Megan Gilmore, I personally do not care. I mean, like, I, I prefer uh, visually impaired to partially sighted. But besides that, I mean, I, I don't care when I have people in this country who are dying because they can't afford to live and the government has created a way for the government to provide them with death um, when they can't find a place to live, they can't find like rent, they can't pay for their groceries. I'm like, I don't care what you're going to call my disability. I just want to see people not living in poverty. Like, can you please go work on that mm-hmm, before mm-hmm. we have a like semantic conversation? What, what about some, sorry, I, I, mean, I might've jumped ahead there, Megan, a little bit, but what oh, are some huh. of the other things that jumped out to you as you started taking a deeper dive into this? Sure. So an obvious one, if people are wondering when will all of this happen, we don't actually know. So there's um, there's some timelines that are associated with very specific action items, like increasing the number of people with disabilities employed in the federal government. There's a target date for that for 2025. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's certain like plans that have dates. Most things we don't have timelines. That's Partly because the government says, especially Minister Carla Coulter's office says that they want this to be a quote evergreen plan, uh, and I I think I appreciate the heart behind that. That this is disability is not going away, and that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing that we have disability disability here, but so we we need this to be something that people are always looking at, um, and I I'm thrilled to see a veterans employment strategy in there. Mm-hmm, I think that's mm-hmm. part of this conversation that often gets lost and it's crucial to understanding disability history in this country. 
Um, it's ridiculous that people serve this nation, get injured in the line of duty, and then come back and can't find work. Um, uh, so that I'm really grateful um, as a legally blind individual who thinks that everybody is reading everything at way too small of a font. I appreciate <laughs> any mention of large print. Um, but no, I, I have some concerns. Um, I think for me as a journalist, as someone who's covered this, anytime I hear this government tout their landmark work for people with disabilities, I think, like, who are you comparing yourself to? Like, like, are you just saying that there's been so little done on this before that anything you do looks amazing compared to what's been done in the past? I mean, there's something, there's something to that. Yeah. Like, 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 what are you? No, but, 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 but I mean, there is something to saying that like our work is landmark because no one else was willing to put the work in. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, that's a good, right. I guess that's good, but it's also like, I'd, I'd listen, right, Megan. Like, I, believe me, I'm 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 someone who fights who fights the branding the branding impulses uh, left, right, and center. Uh, there was a major uh, retailer who got a lot of positive press yesterday for freezing the prices of their house brand, even though they've been one of the contributors to inflation. You know, so uh, and right. then of course basically gets printed like a press release, uh, yeah. like a, a, across newspapers and TV news stations. So I, I I do understand that that temptation of when journalists are like, "Am I going to call this landmark in my copy?" I I definitely see where you're coming from there. As I look at this, Megan, because again, the, the, the thing that we always circle back to in this conversation is details, details, details. Yeah. The thing is, it's tough to do the details until you create frameworks and processes. And I know we're talking about a government that's been in power since 2015. So you'd think perhaps by now, frameworks and processes would have been figured out within seven years. But I think when they start talking about the evergreen nature of these pillars mm -hmm. or these plans, it's that you can use these as guiding principles as you frame policy. So there is something to that, that so many times you and I might have ideas of, well, this is a good solution and that's a good solution, but at what point does that become piecemeal or hodgepodge versus mm -hmm. trying to create some sort of framework? Right, and I also think it speaks to something that uh, Minister Qualtrough was talking about in the last election, something that our friend and colleague, Michelle McQuig, really picked up on in her reporting for the Canadian press, was the what we call like the disability lens that needs to be applied across governments. And there's so many um, aspects of this plan that are related to other areas of government. So I mm -hmm. think it also just speaks to like everybody kind of needs to be part of this. And yes, our current Minister of Disability Inclusion is also the Minister of Employment, Employment and Workforce Development and EI and all those things. Yes, and that's great. And she likes that. She wants those two things together. But there's other people in cabinet and they all need to be looking at this. And then there's also the fact that we were talking about clawbacks. A lot of those clawbacks come at provincial mm -hmm, and territorial mm -hmm. levels. So again, the federal government only has direct, direct, direct influence on certain spheres in Canadian society. This doesn't let other governments off the hook. Right, that's going to keep uh, Dominic Leblanc, the Minister of Intergovernmental Affairs, uh, pretty busy in terms of a further implementation on this, no doubt about it. Uh, Megan, let's go for a quick update here. You did mention medical assistance in dying in your comments mm -hmm. there. Yep. We were supposed to be getting um, something from the committee, Commons and Senate Committee, uh, studying the issue. Do we have any updates on that? 
Yes. So uh, the House of Commons and the Senate have a joint committee on medical assistance and dying, studying things like the state of palliative care, uh, how people with disabilities have, impact, have been impacted by medical assistance and dying, um, and then also future expansions, so including um, mature minors, that would be children, and eligibility. That report was due out yesterday, October 17th. Late last week, the House voted to extend the deadline, so February 17th is now when we are expecting that. That is the second extension that's been given to this report. And again, in March 2024 is, uh, sorry, March 2023, sorry, so next March is when the government is set to allow made for individuals whose sole underlying medical condition is a mental illness. So this report is due out about a month before that. Megan, we're a little tight for time here because as always, you and I get a little bit chatty with one another. But give me the 30-second elevator pitch on the newest episode of Connecting Disability, the original AMI audio podcast. Drops tomorrow. We've been talking on this network about Mike Shorman and Mm -hmm. his journey across the Great Lakes. You can listen to a full interview with him about that tomorrow on Connecting Disability. Look at this. Megan Gilmore landing Mike Shorman. We tried for months, but Megan, being the intrepid journalist she is, lands the big fish. Megan, He was kind of like out in the middle of the lake. (laughs) He was kind of out in the middle of the lake, for what it's worth. Hard to get Wi-Fi reception out there in the middle of Lake Huron. Megan, thank you for this. Have a great day and have a great podcast. You too. That's Megan Gilmore. She is the host of Connecting Disability. You can find that on your favorite podcasting platform with a new episode dropping tomorrow. Coming up next with municipal elections scheduled this month in Ontario and frankly, last weekend in British Columbia. (laughs) Dorothy McNaughton discusses accessibility at the polls. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown. Let's head into Northern Ontario and catch up with Dorothy McNaughton, community reporter in Sault Ste. Marie. Hey, good morning, Dorothy. Good morning, Dave. So, Dorothy, like many municipalities across the country, it is election season. And you want to touch on what's being done in the Sioux to make the process a bit more accessible. So what are some of the tools that are available to help people vote? Well, one one of them's already happened because they had the the voting machines available, but only at the advanced poll. That at least is something. So it allows people with all different kinds of disabilities to vote independently. Um, they're getting that message, but there's still there are still things they can do on voting day. Because on voting day, it's what they've done for many years. You know, it's pencil and paper or a marker. <laughs> they have black markers um, this time. And, uh, you know, they have a list of large print candidates. They have the usual um, template that can be put over top of the ballot. Um, on voting day, you know, they're they're also supposedly having maybe um, magnifiers, a magnifying sheet, which really doesn't magnify much. I do not like those. I find those to be not helpful at all. No, they're totally useless. And I I spoke to someone at city because I had trouble finding information on the website about accessible voting. And she was very lovely and very helpful. Um, The best thing I think is uh, the city is offering free transit rides on election day. Uh, and I don't think a lot of people know about that. Mm, that's a great 
great policy to make sure that yep. if somebody needs to get to the polls and doesn't mm-hmm. have a bus pass or doesn't have maybe a yeah. CNIB card or I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know what CNIB's deals with, with the transit and Sioux, but you know, obviously in places like Toronto and Ottawa, you either get discounted fares or you get uh, complimentary passes, but irrespective making sure that anybody, regardless of disability or special yes. or, 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 or a disability can get to the poll on, on voting day. That's incredible. That's good stuff. That's a great policy. It is, it is. And so I think they're getting the message that people want to be able to vote independently. But I think it behooves all of us after the election to talk to city officials. We're very fortunate here. We have a new accessibility coordinator who is going to be fabulous. She's served on the AAC. She's uh, she's a person with a disability herself, and she has already said, I want to hear experiences we want to improve. And that's a big step for this city because we've sort of been um, averse to change. And I think the city does not totally understand a lot of the issues, but she is really open and wanting to hear the issues. Mm-hmm. And we know that when we're voting yeah. in, in municipal elections, that's where you start making some real grassroots change in your community. We were just talking about federal yes. policy last yes. segment. A lot of the a lot of the the meat and potatoes happens at the grassroots in the city through and through. Uh, Dorothy, you mentioned that's that right. it was a little bit tricky to find some of the information. Any advice for folks heading into election day on the 24th? Well, first of all, I mean, contact the city uh, because they have dedicated staff who deal with the election. Um, and after I had spoken to one of the people at the city, they added a little tab onto their section about the election called Accessible Election. So you click on that, they made it a little bit easier, which I really appreciated. Very good. Dorothy, let's go from the serious to a little bit of fun. You had a chance to go on the Ogawa Canyon tour. So how was the experience? Where'd you go? Well, it was great. Um, it, it goes quite a distance north. I'm not sure the, of the exact distance, but, um, you know, it goes through beautiful, beautiful country and, and up hills in some areas. They called it an area mountain, but I don't think it was really a mountain. Um, and it was... Uh, there were lots of colors along the way, and then it, it goes down into the canyon floor, and and there's a whole beautiful vista in front of you that's normally all, you know, yellows and reds and oranges in the fall. Well, it was still green. <laughs> that was disappointing, <laughs> but <laughs> that's okay, because they have either 300 steps you could walk up and take pictures, which we didn't do, <laughs> or uh, like a, a hard-packed dirt a trail down to these beautiful falls so my husband and I walked down there there were people with walkers uh, people who had their little dogs with them and uh, a lot of tourists and it was packed and everybody had a wonderful time even though the colors weren't really there at, at the canyon. <laughs> but everywhere was later this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've noticed that around these parts too, that the uh, leaves turned a little bit later. And when they did, it's been absolutely stunning. But yeah, they turned yes. a little bit later this year for sure. Uh, Dorothy, yeah. were there any kind of accessibility features or features that made the uh, the process a little more inclusive? Yes, they have an accessible car for the train and they have a lift that will bring people with wheelchairs in and out of the train. Um, and the staff is well-trained. Oh, the staff were phenomenal. Um, they've really gone out of their way. Um, they have an audio kind of tour explanation as you go along about the different features, which which was great. Um, you know, they're older cars, 
so you know there there are a few issues around how uncomfortable seats are but you know (laughs) uh we didn't really matter you know it really didn't matter in the end um but no they really um they are very aware of accessibility and and the new company that owns it is an american company so they're used to the americans with disabilities act standards and uh they're really willing to listen to the passengers this is the first year they've run it um they want feedback and uh so yeah it was was very positive all in all Mm. dorothy let's move on to something else that's been keeping you busy i I don't don't know when dorothy mcnaughton sleeps you do you have more (laughs) on your schedule than i have on my schedule but you had a chance to uh, take part in the doors open sault saint marie and last time we spoke to you you said you were looking forward to it well now you've done it how was the experience Oh, it was phenomenal. Like the weather was great. And so we wandered all over the place. Uh, we picked what we wanted to see because we went to the Doors Open Ontario website. And and a lot of it's uh, still on there, actually. Uh, so you can you can check it out afterwards. And some of them have virtual tours. But we went to, we went along the canal district um, where we've been before. And then we went to the block house, which is part of um, the... Ermitinger Klerg um, historical site and they had moved the blockhouse from down by the St. Mary's River up to uh, uh, where the old stone house is and I had never been inside the blockhouse so you went inside the blockhouse it's not very big and that was fascinating because uh, Francis Klerg actually lived in the top part of the blockhouse it's like a very tiny home with a you know with a living room and a beautiful fireplace and a bedroom and a a, a bathtub um, very very rustic I guess Keep, you could keeping say. it keeping it simple back then <laughs> yes for sure but so that was fascinating and uh, but the the best thing I think we went to the the new facility um, it's called the Shingwak Kinemaj Gumig I don't know if I pronounced that correctly um, but it's it's the new um, indigenous University in the Sioux across the across Queen Street from Algoma University and it's it's an, a degree granting institution um, from the outside it's it's a really fascinating design and uh, it's built like a longhouse with beautiful high vaulted ceilings with with timbers and uh, when we went on a tour with uh, a guide explaining everything there's an um, climate-controlled archive for all of the um, First Nations uh, archives from uh, the, you know, the important, for the Mm, important historical documents. The artifacts, the artifacts, the documents, yeah, all that important stuff. From all across Canada. And then the best part was these absolutely beautiful healing gardens with, where they're growing different um, herbs and cedar and sweetgrass um, in order to use uh, in the the uh, penal system, uh, they're working with the Solicitor General and they're providing healing um, medicines to Indigenous people who have been incarcerated. Mm. So Dorothy, after you had that experience and you packed so much into that day, do you feel more connected to your community? Oh, I do. And and I just love the history anyway. Um, but the opportunity to see places that normally aren't open to the public. And also just to get a sense of, um, you know, what, what's out there, what's available, what 
uh, like especially indigenous peoples, what they're doing and how they're connecting with the land and with um, other people in the community. And they're just the connections uh, I find uh, fascinating. Mm. Dorothy, one last thought here before we get out of here. It would not be a conversation with Dorothy McNaughton if we didn't talk about getting together with technology. And the next Northern Ontario and Rural GTT group meeting is on tap tonight. So what's on the agenda? Yes, Brian Beeble is going to do a presentation on NVDA, uh, which is the free screen reader that anybody can download from the internet. So he's going to explain right from the basics, how to download it, how to use it, um, tips on on different tricks that people might not know to make it uh, easier to learn. Um, it's a lot easier than JAWS, uh, and it's just another option out there that people might not know about. Very good. Dorothy, enjoy the meeting tonight. Enjoy your perpetually packed social calendar, <laughs> and we'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks. You bet. Thanks a lot, Dave. That's, Take care. That's Dorothy McNaughton, community reporter in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. And if you do want to find out more about some of those stories, specifically some of the contact info on the GTT, the Get Together with Technology, or maybe some of that accessible voting in the Sioux, head over to the blog after the show, ami.ca slash now, ami.ca slash now. Coming up after the break, I'll have the regional news update, and Brock Richardson will stop by for a sports chat. This is Now with Dave Brown. On AMI. Coming up in the second hour of the show, Samsung is launching a text to speech feature for calls using the Bixby Assistant. Nelson Rago will explain. Andy will be joining me right here in Studio 5. I've had to rethink the entire way in which I keep my papers around here because Andy could glean information off my large print script with the questions and the answers. Not that not that Andy would ever do anything unethical like that. But I know he does want to win. Who doesn't want to win? It's the Weekly News Quiz prestige through and through speaking of the news let's begin the hour with the regional news update british columbia's ndp leadership hopeful angela apaderai says she must wait until wednesday to find out if she can officially enter the race apaderai says the ndp has been investigating some of the people her campaign signed up since she announced her intention to run these fears and these um these actions taken to sort of question and 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 interrogate uh, new members aside, I I don't think that I don't think that there's any other reason to to question the legitimacy of my candidacy. David Abbey, the NDP's government's former attorney general and minister responsible for housing, is the only officially approved candidate so far. The leadership vote is scheduled for December the third. Over to the prairies, where the federal government is providing nearly $7 million to an Indigenous-led safe space in Winnipeg. Velma's House supports women who have been sexually exploited. The space opened last year. After years of advocacy, Minister of Indigenous Services Patty Haidu says the funding should offer some sustainability to the service. 
My hope is that you'll never have to plead and beg again. My hope is that you'll always have a federal government and certainly more supportive provincial governments that will stand with you and understand that fundamental truth that you know, especially as people working in this field, that no community functions well until everyone feels safe. Velma's house is using the other part of the funding to purchase a larger space. Over to Ontario, where Ontario Premier Doug Ford says the province will expand strong mayor powers to other large municipalities next year. The province recently passed legislation that gives the mayors of Toronto and Ottawa veto power over bylaws that conflict with provincial priorities, like building housing. Ford says this is just the beginning. We're using Ottawa and Toronto as a test area per se, and then we're going to move forward a year after that and give it to other regions, uh, other larger municipalities. So when you get uh, elected as mayor, it means something. Toronto's incumbent mayor, John Tory, supports the strong mayor powers, but the leading mayoral candidates in Ottawa do not support the new legislation. Over to Atlantic Canada, police in Halifax are asking for the public's help to find the person who lost some cash last week in the Quinpool Road area. Halifax Regional Police won't say how much money was found last Thursday near Jubilee Road. To claim the money, you must be able to specify the denomination of the bills and the total amount of the cash. And as I read this this morning, I thought to myself, if you made me report the breakdown of bills in my wallet along with the total of what was in there i would have no clue i would have no clue i'm a cash operation cash goes in cash goes out it's fluid that's the point of cash so i don't know i would i would open my wallet and start counting cash on the air right now but that would be that would be gauche that'd be gauche no no one would no one would appreciate that people in fact would be mad at me and then people would be waiting outside the office to rob me on my way home it would be a whole thing so, so we'll leave it at that as we welcome in Brock Richardson for a sports chat. Brock, you would never rob me of my cash, but you love to give me a good sports take, beginning with some notable news out of the Na- National Basketball Association as the San Antonio Spurs, their head coach, Greg Popovich, really on the verge of making some significant history here. And you were just talking about your wallet. If I opened mine and figured out how much cash was in it, mothballs would fall. I'm, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not a cash operation guy. Debit card it is. But uh, yeah. Greg, Greg Popovich enters his 27th season. The league's other franchises have gone through 294 coaches. Oh Every my gosh! Team has gone through at least three coaches during. Popovich's tenure with the Spurs. At first glance, what do you think of when you hear this statistic? 27 years is a long time, but there's also been a ton of success across multiple eras. I know it's been a long time since they last won a title in San Antonio. It was the 2014 finals when uh, Kawhi Leonard absolutely dominated LeBron James in that final. But I think about a coach who got the most out of so many players in his time with that organization, whether it was the emergence of Tim Duncan alongside David Robinson when they won their first title, developing players like Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili, and then, of course, the Kawhi Leonard steal in the draft that proved to be one of the best players in the NBA. Brock, what I think of when I hear about 27 years and all those championship rings is a great teacher, someone who understands fundamentally the sport of basketball and passes that knowledge upon his players. What do you think about when you see, when you think about that number? 
The first thing that popped into my head was that it's nice to see that a coach has more pull than its players because you see a lot of time in sports um, when players get tired of coaches, you know, the ones that make lots of money and, you know, have lots of pull because they were X number of draft pick. You see a lot of a lot of players having influence. Greg Popovich is among a short list of coaches in all of sports that has more stature, if you will, than the players. I, Greg Popovich, when he speaks, I get the sense you listen to what he says. And it, even though it's been a while since their last championship, he still uh, bleeds a winning culture. And again, a no-nonsense coach, which is not something, Dave, you see a lot in, in sports. You hear a lot of Oh, this person's a player's coach. This person's, you know, this way. You don't, you don't see a lot of the no nonsense coaches um, in, in sports now. You see a lot more, you know, appeasing the the rooms nowadays mm. than before. But you do wonder if that culture is what cost them Kawhi Leonard, cost them one of the transcendent players in the NBA. And the fact is, they have not been a playoff team in four or five years. And they haven't really managed to develop any of those young picks into can't-miss talent, Brock. So I actually wonder at what point the rubber might be hitting the road for that attitude, that style. Because it comes for it comes for all of us. Phil Jackson was a great coach until Phil Jackson wasn't a great coach anymore. All those titles of Chicago and the L.A. Lakers kind of dissipated and as soon as he lost as soon as he lost that grip a teensy tiny bit that was enough that it was gone so you wonder at what point the leash might actually start tightening a little bit on Greg Popovich if he can't develop these top 10 picks that the Spurs have had for the last four or five years and no matter what and I hate to be so you know like this but no matter what every person has a shelf life oh yes 27 years is a long time and when you haven't had a championship because you know that that's what you aspire to do as a coach you want to win championships with a team i do have a feeling that you know the spurs uh brass will have a hard time letting go of of greg but at some point there does have to be you know significant uh, conversation depending on um how this year goes i'm not sure what his contract is off the top of my head but I, I'm pretty sure we're only going one or two years at a time uh, with Greg Popovich, also due to the fact that he's on the older side as well. Yeah. So to, be to, interesting to see, but it's kind of cool to stat. To a certain degree, you wonder if there'd be some hope of uh, a mutual parting of ways that is amicable that perhaps keeps him as a vice president or, or, or something else inside the organization as an advisor, that even if he were to lose that head coaching role, a player development type role, something executive, something to sort of acknowledge the 27 years and the six titles, five or six titles that they've won. Brock, where do you put him all time in terms of NBA coaches? Because I would say he's probably in the top three. You're looking at Red Auerbach of the Boston Celtics. You're looking at Phil Jackson of the of the Bulls and the Lakers, and then looking and then looking at Greg Popovich. Maybe Pat Riley, but even Pat Riley, I, I don't know. I, I I think Popovich passes him. Yeah, I would put him in the top three as well under that same list. Uh, I would also put um, Steve Kerr in that sort of... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same kind of bracket. I'm not sure I'd put him up top three either. Uh, But but he's working his way, and and he's still, speaking of relevance, Steve Kerr is still relevant. And I was talking on another 
a program recently about that, that he's still relevant. And he it's about the things that he says. You know, Steve Kerr is that voice of reason where if something in the world happens, Steve Kerr tends to be very uh, poetic, very calming, very... And, and he's won titles to boot both as coaches and as an athlete. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you got to put him up at the top of the list there as well. But I, right now, I would put him probably four or five in that mix. Steve Kerr is on track. Steve Kerr has won four titles in eight years as a head coach in the NBA. That's a pretty good winning percentage for winning titles. There's no doubt about that one. But I think when you yeah. talk about the, uh, the the Rileys and the Jacksons and the Red Auerbachs and and the uh, Greg Popovich's longevity certainly plays into that one too. Uh, Brock, let's move on to the world of baseball. We spent some time talking about the Cleveland Guardians and New York Yankees game that was supposed to be played last night. It got rained out. No need to sort of redwell our thoughts. The starting pitching has been rearranged for this one, but what's better than seven o'clock baseball on a Monday? It's four o'clock baseball on a Tuesday. So deciding game tonight, but this afternoon between the guardians and the Yankees, that one's going to be on sports. That's a good game, but Brock, we did not talk about the national league championship series at all yesterday with the Philadelphia Phillies and the San Diego Padres locking horns. I'm curious if you want to go back in time though, to the San Diego Padres upset of the LA Dodgers. Yeah, let, let's start with going back in time first. Um, I, once again, we see the L.A. Dodgers get an early exit. They've tend to, tended to do this over the last stretch of time, obviously, you know, but they they also have won uh, recently as well. But their habits would show that this is what they've done. Uh, Dave Roberts said in uh, in March, we're going to the World Series and... Well, they didn't, and that's just the way it is. And I just want to give you a sort of a picture. Uh, the Los Angeles payroll is $320 million for a season, and the Padres payroll is $200 million. This goes to show you that money does not automatically buy you success. It may buy you success in the regular season, as it has for the Dodgers, but sometimes the money doesn't bring you over the edge it's rather between the ears what brings you over the edge and i think that's been kind of a struggle for la over the last five six years i'll I'll push back on that a little bit brock because 200 million dollar payroll is still in the upper tier of mlb payrolls it's just not the astronomical number that the dodgers are uh, rolling around with but uh the the san diego padres have spent a ton of money over the years on players like blake snell and manny machado and it's also masked a little bit in the sense that they acquired juan soto but he's still on the he's still on like the entry level deal and even players like fernando tatis the extensions haven't necessarily all the way kicked in yet so in theory that san diego payroll might actually look a little closer to that dodgers payroll if we were sort of to adjust it for uh, contract extensions that are going to be coming down the pipeline here but yeah that's a bummer for the dodgers 10 straight years they've gone to the playoffs with one world series to show for it I will say that at least going to the playoffs 10 years in a row is kind of nice. I would rather root for a team that's consistently good and only wins one title as opposed to what I've had in my hockey life, which is my team stinks for eight of 12 years. And then they give me three great playoff runs in between. So there's, there's something to the Dodgers model where you get the championship and you get sustained success. What do you think? Would you rather have the no titles with the occasional fun run? Or do you want 10 years of sustained success in one title? I I think I would want the 10 years with sustained success. 
but I would also say if you're in the Detroit Red Wing, you know, camp where you getting 20, 20 odd years of making the playoffs, but then you got nothing to show for it. I think at times when you get into that, you know, 15, 20 year run where you've made the playoffs with not a lot to show for it, that's where you kind of you kind of look at it and you go, okay, what are we celebrating? The fact that we made the playoffs or the fact that we're not, you know, winning championships. So I think 10 years as a run with what they've done is good. I just want to see them win another one before we get into that territory where you're talking Detroit Red Wings and the 20 plus years and not much to show for it in that, in that window. Wow, so. Look at Brock just burning down the Red Wings and all those titles they won between 1996 and 2009. Brock doesn't care. He wants, he wants nothing but titles for those wings. Uh, but I, yeah. but I agree with you. It's like the San Jose Sharks, right? The Sharks were good from 2004 to 2019 and they won zero titles. The bottom fell out. And that was that for them. Uh, Brock, any other thoughts here with the San Diego Padres and Philadelphia Phillies getting their series going on sports that tonight, a lot of, power in both of these lineups in terms of batting that ball over the fence yeah a lot of power i gotta lean towards the uh padres in this series when you beat the uh giant in the dodgers and everyone expected them to be there they are rolling with confidence you know i'm not saying that philadelphia is not rolling with confidence but when you beat a team like the dodgers who had a hundred plus win season, you know, this is your rolling with confidence, but I mean, credit to the Phillies. They've done their due diligence too in winning. They both play a very good brand of baseball. It's, it's a little bit of power, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. They, they know how to play the fundamental portions of baseball, which you don't see a lot. So this is the point in the series that I'm looking forward to. I think both teams should have a good series. I expect this to probably go, you know, five, six or seven games. I don't expect anyone to do any kind of sweeping. I think there's too much talent on both teams to expect that, but I'm looking forward to this one for sure. There are world series rings on those big bats of, uh, of a few of those Philadelphia Phillies, uh, the Bryce Harper's of the world, the Kyle Schwarber's of the world. The Hoskins doesn't have a World Series ring, but he's got a big bat too. So the one thing is you can't start throwing uh, lazy pitches out there because when you get to the heart of that Phillies lineup, they will make you pay. Brock, we're almost out of time here, but you were watching some NHL hockey last night and something really annoyed you on the TV broadcast. I don't know if you've noticed this, but it took me about a game or two to uh, recognize what was going on. But there's this rolling uh, billboard that will change on the boards. I'm okay with the advertisements being fixed there, but it's this rolling advertisement that the TV can change that I just find... As a person with a visual impairment, it's really, really distracting and really hard to follow. I understand it's about the bottom dollar. I totally get it. But it's a real, real distraction, Dave, from watching the games. The superimposed ads everywhere can be a real visual distraction throughout the game, whether it's stuff projected on the ice, stuff projected on the glass, stuff projected on the boards. It really uh, takes away from the game. I find the audio mixing is just terrible these days. I used to hear the puck bouncing around everywhere, and now you barely hear it. You just hear, you know, just hollow arena sound. So uh, I'm I'm inclined to agree, Brock. I also think the, the TV broadcasts are, are technologically quite strong right now, but the actual ambience and feel isn't quite all the way there. Brock, we got to get out of here, but before we do, what's coming up on the neutral zone today at 11 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio? 
we have uh, Amanda Provan uh, from the uh, Canadian blind hockey team who's joining us. She uh, made some history in making this national team as the first woman. She was also the first woman to be invited to a camp and also find out why I get on a topic of a tetanus shot and how that turned into talking about a spider bite on one of my co-host's foot. <laughs> oh my so gosh. look forward for that as a, well. A little bit of venom on the neutral zone, 11 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio, then available on demand in podcast form, and it'll get up on uh, YouTube uh, in, in podcast form as well. Brock, thank you for this. Have a great day. Thank you. That's Brock Richardson. He is the host of the neutral zone. Alex Smythe is here. He's at the AMI weather desk. Here's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Starting in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, it's cloudy but clearing out this morning with a high of 18. In Charlottetown, PEI, it's a mix of sun and clouds and a high of 20. In St. John, New Brunswick, it's cloudy with rain beginning this morning and there's a special weather statement in effect with up to 60 millimeters of rain expected between today and tomorrow and the high right now is 14. In Quebec City, Quebec, it's rainy and up to 20 millimeters is expected to fall with a high of 14. In Toronto, Ontario, it's cloudy with rain expected this afternoon and a high of 8. In Sault Ste. Marie, excuse me, in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, it's cloudy with rain or flurries expected and there's wind gusts up to 70 kilometers per hour with 7 being the high. Over to Brandon, Manitoba, it's sunshine and six is the high. Regina, Saskatchewan, sunny as well, with wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour and a high of 17. In Lethbridge, Alberta, the sunshine continues. It's 23 being the high. Red Deer, Alberta, it's sunny as well, and the high is 21. Up to Whitehorse, Yukon, it's rainy and possible wet snow starting this morning and wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour with a high of five. Over to Kelowna, BC, it's sunny, hazy, and 18 is the high. And then finally in Vancouver, BC, it's a mix of sun and clouds clearing this afternoon, but becoming hazy. And there's a special air quality statement in effect due to the smoke in the area. The high is 18. That was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up next, Samsung is launching a text-to-speech feature for calls using the Bixby Assistant. Nelson Rago will explain. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. The founder of Cool Blind Tech, Nelson Rago, is here to talk about some neat stories in accessible technology. Hey, good morning, Nelson. Hey, good morning, Dave. So, Nelson, let's jump into the world of Samsung, where their assistant, Bixby, is introducing some new speech-to-text features for people on phone calls. So how does Bixby text call work? Yeah, uh, for those of uh, who don't know what Bixby is uh, because it still doesn't have a huge market. Uh, it's um, uh, Samsung's answer to uh, Siri or the uh, Google Assistant. 
Um, <clears throat> so in this case, it works specifically for the uh, Samsung Galaxy phones. Um, essentially, if you're receiving a call uh, from someone, uh, you can actually respond by text. Uh, so you'll be texting to them uh, the response, and then that text will translate to speech. And on the other end, the person will hear uh, an automated voice uh, with a Bixby voice, and it'll actually be speaking to them uh, verbally um, what you've actually text. And then as as uh, as you're speaking back and forth, uh, the transcription is actually saved on both the phones, uh, and it's all being done on the device themselves, so it's not being put up into the cloud. And uh, and then the audio itself is actually deleted from the device uh, for those who are concerned for uh, privacy reasons. So it's a uh, kind of a cool feature where you're 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 doing the texting and and if you could be you know for example if you're in an area where you can't take a call but you can still communicate on the other end and then that person is still getting audio. Um, uh, I'm I'm not sure what how Bixby uh, sounds like these days, but uh, it, it wasn't too bad when I heard it uh, when it first came out. So Samsung's been working on this for a while. What obstacles were they running into when they were developing the feature? Uh, well, the main thing is is basically uh, uh, they haven't had the technology to the point where it can understand uh, colloquial speech. Uh, so, for, for example, uh, you're dealing with the microphone, you're dealing with the environment. Uh, and when we all, uh, when we're doing uh, audio text messages, uh, sometimes the, the words don't come through on the other end properly. Uh, so, uh, and... Lucky for Apple, it does say like this. This was sent by Siri, so if you send something by accident, uh, you didn't mean to say, uh, you know, you got that sort of thing from Siri, where it, uh, it it sort of tells the other person that it was sent uh, by speech. Um, so that that was the main obstacle is that they they couldn't uh, get the the accuracy down uh, where it's communicating properly back and forth. But uh, they finally were able to do it after uh, what I guess five years since Bixby's been launched. Yeah, Nelson, you mentioned that uh, Bixby is, say, Samsung's answer to the Google Voice Assistant or to Siri or other voice assistants out there, and it's one that even as a Samsung user, I have never activated. I've never used it yeah. even on my phone. Yeah. So, just how common is Bixby as a voice assistant? Uh, well, there, there was a report released in uh, 2020 uh, by uh, Voicebot.ai, and um, even though they've gradually been uh, taking some shares away from the other assistants uh, uh, from 2018 to 2020, uh, they're still sitting at uh, I think 6.7 percent when I last looked at the stats. Uh, of course, Apple's Siri is is uh, at the top there with 45 plus percent. Uh, the Google Assistant is at uh, I believe 29 percent. And then uh, Amazon's answer uh, with their assistant is uh, sitting at about uh, 18% of uh, market share. So it's still uh, a fraction of what's out there. Uh, but I mean, being a you know an Android user, you have the option of Bixby or the uh, Google Assistant. Mm -hmm. and obviously, most people are going to choose what's what works for them and. And Google Assistant seems to be the best option uh, for a lot of people. Yeah, it's already a pretty robust, pretty easy to use, yeah. fairly easy to activate. So it makes sense why that one's peop one people would be using. I remember in uh, when Samsung was launching Bixby, they used to put a Bixby button on the phone, and you would yeah. punch the button to bring up Bixby, but it couldn't <laughs> do yeah. anything because it wasn't activated yet. It was uh, it was a real mess. Uh, Nelson, yeah, what's yeah. what's the timeline here before a Samsung user could use this feature on their phone? Uh, well, I mean, Samsung uh, uh, coming from uh, Korea, so uh, the, the language has been, uh, where this technology has been uh, released in the Korean language, uh, but they are planning other languages uh, next year. 
uh, ideally, you know, they're probably going to have English at the top list, um, uh, you know, once they get to um, European and uh, North American markets. So, uh, so right now it is available if you can speak Korean, uh, but th those of us who don't, uh, we'll have to wait uh, for another year to get uh, in English. Nelson, let's wrap up here. There's a new app being launched called Glaucoma in Perspective. What is the purpose of this app? Yeah, this was just uh, uh, launched, uh, I think it was last week, uh, um, you know, in conjunction with uh, World Sight Day. Um, so the, the idea is really to educate uh, those uh, who maybe have recently uh, been diagnosed with glaucoma, even those of us who have had glaucoma for years and just um, maybe there's new technology, new treatments out there. Um, so there's interactive um, features in there where it shows the user uh, what can happen if you do get glaucoma. Uh, there's treatment plans in there that uh, help the user uh, sort of, you know, learn to use their drops and and uh, options with other technologies. Uh, I guess uh, they now have laser uh, options and and other surgeries uh, that are available. Um, so it's it's uh, important for people to sort of educate themselves on on what their uh, eye disease is. And and this is uh, it's a free app. You can get it on Android or, or iOS. Um, it's it's pretty uh, easy to use with voiceover. Uh, obviously, I can't use some features because there's a lot of visual elements in it. Uh, um, you know, as someone is losing their eyesight, uh, they, they still have a little bit of vision. Yeah, maybe, uh, maybe that was maybe that was poor planning on the developers' parts, making an extremely visual app for uh, for blind people. But you know, yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's still it, it's still accessible uh, with voiceover. But I think it's to to sort of show people who have glaucoma that that the vision hasn't gotten so dramatic to the point where uh, maybe they'll put it off because glaucoma is one of those that uh, sometimes you actually don't feel the, the eye pressure. So and it, it'll rob you of your eyesight pretty quick. And uh, and that's what happened to me when it first uh, happened. So, But I had an aggressive form of it, uh, so it, it robbed my eyesight pretty quick. Uh, but uh, it's it's out there. It's it's available in the uh, uh, Canadian App Store. Uh, um, and then you can get it on the Google Play as well. Very good. Nelson, thank you for this. Awesome. Take care. That's Nelson Rago, the founder of Cool Blind Tech. Coming up after the break, we'll catch up with uh, Ramya and Nizreen. But first, avatars in the metaverse are getting some new limbs. Sherry Peston, ex Preston explains in Tech Trends. There's one more feature coming soon that's probably the most requested feature on our roadmap. Legs. That's right. Legs will soon be available on the digital avatars in Meta's VR software, Horizon Worlds. Legs. I know you have been waiting for this. I think everyone has been waiting for this. But seriously, the legs are hard. Which right is now, every Horizon user is only represented by a torso. Sounds a little silly, but it's sort of um, a, a big deal, I guess, from a, a technological standpoint. And Gadget's Carissa Bell. Legs are not so easy to render in VR because if you if you get the motion and, and walking and stuff wrong, it can kind of feel jarring and uncomfortable for people. But the legs from last week's conference aren't the finished product. The company later saying the legs in the presentation were animations created from motion capture. With Tech Trends, I'm Sherry Preston, ABC News. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. It is cold and flu season. Pretty much everybody around the offices hacking or sneezing or doing something these days it got me thinking what are we doing to be as hygienic as possible how often 
are you cleaning your phone, cleaning your devices, wiping down your computer screen? A little bit of disinfectant. Let's uh, be vulnerable together, shall we? Let's bring in Nizreen Abdelmajid and Ramya Amuthin and Alex Smythe. Hey, good morning, Nizreen. Good morning. And hello, Ramya. Hey, Dave. And good morning, Alex. Good morning again, Dave. So, Nizreen, how often are you cleaning your phone, cleaning your laptop, cleaning your screens? Not often enough, but right when I see it dirty, I do use the glasses cleaner. There's a spray for glasses and the cloth for the glasses. So that's what I use. I don't use Lysol wipes or any special products for my devices, but just wipe it clean um, right away. But I hate seeing smudges on my devices. So that's... <laughs> to, to be frank, but, yeah. the fact that you're using glasses cleaner and, the, and like the proper wipe actually is the the right way to do it if we're being mm-hmm. clear here yeah that's probably yeah, that's that's probably better than yeah. the system that i employ which is just a series of lysol wipes which is apparently terrible for your <laughs> devices but you know yeah. it makes me feel very clean Rumia, what about you yeah with computers i'm even like a step down from nisreen but it, it's like just wet cloth and dry cloth that's it that's all i do for my computers and all that because i'm nervous about wrecking my stuff um but with airpods i go like hand sanitizer (laughs) just dipping them them right in the hand sanitizer (laughs) going all the way for it (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. like i i do a hand sanitizer sprayed uh cloth and then put that on my like microfiber and then uh, clean out or cotton swab and clean out my airpods completely with that Anything that goes in my ear, gross. Like, I need to get that clean. But my screens, my keyboard, my mouse, it's just like water. Okay. All right. So, Duly noted. Yeah, don't don't share computers. Don't compare. Don't, don't share computers with Ramya. We we are yeah. going to stay in our own desks yeah. and go but to our own places. speakers and microphones you can share with me. All left, right. <laughs> well, I don't know if we're going to share earphones, though. We're not going to share earphones. No. That would be that would be no. gross. Uh, Alex, what about you? Yeah, so first off, I, I, I feel bad for uh, Ramya having to be so uh, concerned about the anything going into her ear. As someone who wears hearing aids, like, you, you do not want to see my uh, hearing aid molds. Uh, I think it would make <laughs> you run away. Um, but for me, actually, it's, it's kind of similar to Nisreen. So uh, from Costco, I get these kind of individually, like, wrapped wipes. They're almost like, uh, you know, when you're, like, eating wings or something messy at a restaurant, they give you the wet, like, individually oh, yeah, the wet nap. wipes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they have them, but it's designed for glasses and, like, computers and electronics. So I often use it for cleaning my glasses, but I, I'll also use those to actually wipe down the computer and phones and stuff. As to how often I do that, um, I have a pretty high tolerance for having a pretty messy, like, computer and, and screen. Like, I will say to do a full-on wipe of the computer is going to be kind of quite rare, rare. But, like, my phone, for instance, I just give it a good wipe with the palm of my hand, get all the smudges off, and I'm good to go. I mean, I, I don't need to be all that picky. No one else is touching my phone besides me. I'd, I'd say the phone gets a Lysol wiping, like, yeah. two to three times a week maybe three to four times a week, but everything else, like my computer screen, which is actually one of the ones that I'd think to myself, I should be cleaning more often because of my visual impairments, because my face is always like right into the screen to like look as close as possible. I I should really be cleaning that thing every day if I'm being totally candid, but I would say it only happens like once a month, which is so gross when I think about it. Nazreen, a difference from device to device. Does the phone get a little more love than say the laptop screen? 
I think the laptop gets more love. Why? Because when I DJ, the laptop is up in public and oh, yeah. everybody can see my laptop and especially the, the back of my laptop. So I get very, um, not insecure, but very cautious of, you know, when, when people pass by, they're like, oh my God, all I'm thinking about is they're like, you know, she's pretty messy. She's pretty disgusting kind of when they see my laptop. So I'm always wiping it down. Um, my phone is always hidden, so I'm just, you know, not as, as uh, cautious about that. So I guess my laptop. But I've seen those devices on TikTok where it's like TikTok made me buy this where it's a box and you put your devices in there and it just washes up. I don't know how I would trust it, but I've seen reviews that it's pretty good. Are, are so, those the ones that use like the UV technology where they just clean your stuff with light? Mm. I'm, I'm pretty, I think so. I think, I think, I think so. that's, I think, I think that's, that would work. I think I've seen that. I think I've seen that ad pop up on my social, on my social as well, being like, yeah, yeah, yeah it cleans your phone with infrared, which I fully believe. Like, I'm sure there's science that works there, but I'm like, no, no, no. Let me just keep breaking my phone piece yeah. by piece with a little bit of Lysol wiping. <laughs> uh, Lysol wipes. <laughs> Nazreen, thank you for this. We appreciate it. You got it. Alex, we're saying goodbye to you very momentarily, but you'll be back for the quiz in a moment. Sounds good. And Ramya, before I say goodbye to you, what's coming up on Kelly and Company this afternoon? Okay. Well, we're talking about cleaning, so might as well talk about oral health as well. Oh, yes. (laughs) This one I do better. So is it time to replace your toothbrush, and how do you know if it is time to? Oh, gosh, yes. The answer is always yes. It's time to replace your toothbrush. Always. Exactly. Have those backups ready to go. Francis Wong is going to share some tips um, and information on oral health and, and oral care. Uh, also, leading up to White Cane Awareness Day, this is run by the NFB in the U.S. Community reporter Mathieu Rochette is sharing his personal experience coming to grips with his white cane, along with, of course, so much more information on our community report. And with the theme of appreciation, because October, we seem to be focusing on this a lot. Yang Wang is focusing on... Good encounters. She calls them real and good encounters Mm. that she's experienced recently. And she's also paying some tribute to her late father, uh, who she wrote a book for, and he didn't get to read the book. So she's going to highlight that for him today. Appreciation and gratitude. It's actually a topic that's going to come up uh, on tomorrow's show with the new Paula. She's going to join us and talk about the importance of gratitude and how that changes our brain chemistry. Oh my gosh, it's amazing the psychological uh, improvements that we feel and mental health wise when we show gratitude. Yeah, you have to so work true. on it though. It's yeah. like a muscle. Like you, you, you can't. Is. You have to. You have to literally do the gratitude thing almost every moment of every day until it becomes an yeah. instinct. Uh, otherwise, you have to. You have to fight it. Uh, Ramya, let's be clear: the toothbrush. Like if it's a manual. Yes. That's every week it's got to be changed, if not even more regularly than every week. If it's the electric toothbrush where the bristles don't quite break down as fast, uh-huh. ah, you can maybe get you can maybe get 10 days, two weeks on that. 10 days, two weeks is how uh, often I should be replacing well, the head. Uh, that, well, if, if, as soon as soon as the bristles, as soon as the bristles start to yes. start to lose their stiffness, you got to move them. And, and, I have to, move. And, and I have to use the soft brush because I have very sensitive gums. Oh, OK, because I was going to say, too, it depends on the type you get and how you're brushing your teeth because there's that aspect of it too dave my dentist will tell me incorrectly my my dentist would tell me definitely incorrectly okay all right so much confession on today's show Uh, we're all about vulnerability here on now with dave brown (laughs) ramya have a great show we'll talk to you tomorrow
Sounds good, Dave. That's Rami Amuthan, the co-host of Kelly and Company, which comes your way 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Coming your way next is the weekly news quiz. Andy Frank joins me in studio. Ryan Delahanty defends his crown. And Alex Smythe looking to pick up another win on his belt. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown. It's a Tuesday edition of the show. It's the last segment of the show. You know what that means. It's time for the weekly news quiz. That is right, ladies, gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Let's bring in our contestants for the show. The defending champion in Halifax, Nova Scotia. It's Ryan Delahanty. Thanks for having me back. I look forward to defending the crown. That's what happens when you win, Ryan. We just keep inviting you back. And, of course, Alex Smythe is here to compete and try to get a win on his belt. Good morning, Alex. Good morning again, Dave. Yeah, I got to try to beat Ryan this time. And as is one of my favorite things to do, I got to welcome people into the studio that is the sauna that is Studio 5 here in North York, Ontario. Andy Frank is across the room from me. Good morning, Andy. Dave has done done wonders for you so far. (laughs) I can only only imagine. Do we have Andy's uh, microphone on there properly? I I think it's uh, on now. There we go. I was just just saying that Dave's, the sauna has done wonders for Dave's. Yeah, absolutely. My figure perpetually shrinking. It's definitely not expanding in any way, shape, or form. Okay, so I'm going to go over the rules on this one. Y'all know them. There's three contestants. There's three rounds. There's three questions per round. Every question comes with three multiple choice answers if you answer the question without needing the options, you get two points. If you require the options and get it right, you get one. If you get it wrong, we move on until a point is awarded. The order and questions have been chosen and written by me this week as Paul Daniel is away. So I'm drunk with power, not tequila and club soda. So the first question goes to our defending champion, Ryan Delahanty. Ryan, are you ready? Yes. So round one, the theme is politics. So Ryan... Who did Alberta Premier Danielle Smith refer to as the most discriminated people she's ever seen in her life? I'll take the options here. Was it business owners, unvaccinated people, or oil and gas workers? The unvaxxed. That is correct. Two points for Ryan. That was quite the opening. One point. One point. One point point for Ryan. Thank you, Eliza and Alex and everybody else. Uh, Let's head over to Alex, who offered us that wonderful correction. Alex, a a video stream of a vegetable is being shown online. The purpose? To see if the vegetable will go right before British Prime Minister Liz Truss gets replaced. What kind of vegetable is featured in the stream? Well, you know, being on uh, now with Dave Brown affords me certain insight, and it would be lettuce is the vegetable. That is correct, and two points for Alex. In fact, all of these questions are uh, geared towards people who listen to Now with Dave Brown every day because I Uh wrote them, so therefore I only wanted to do so much research yesterday. Andy, Uh (laughs) question number three comes to you. No pressure. What is the name of the commissioner running the public inquiry into the Emergencies Act? I need the option. Is it Jean G. Legault? Julie Bourgeois or Paul Rouleau? I think it has to be Ms. Bourgeois. 
I'm sorry, that's incorrect. Mm. Uh, heading over to Ryan. Um, let's go with Paul. That is pa Paul Hulot is the right answer. No Paul. Uh, Paul for a Paul. <laughs> Even with no Paul today, we're still getting some Paul into these he's, questions. He's on a first name basis. <laughs> politics, right? I knew <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. It's literally oh, politics. Oh, well done. Bravo. Bravo. After round number one, we've got a tie at the top of the scoreboard. We have Ryan with two and Alex with two. Andy's still looking to get off the snide. Mm. Round number two starts with Alex. Alex, what Canadian retailer announced that they'd freeze the prices of all products of their house brand? It is Loblaws. Okay, maybe I made these questions too easy for Alex because he does indeed listen to the show. I should have planned. I uh, should have planned a little bit better. That's right. The yellow brand yep. is going to have a freeze on their prices until January the thirty-first. Of course, any increases to the yellow brand that preceded that, well, the inflation was actually being counted. We're not going to talk about that. We're just going to read press releases on air as across every journalistic institution across Canada and give free advertisements to Loblaws. Question number two of round number two goes to Andy. <laughs> Andy, which Canadian telecom company has applied to the CRTC for permission to charge customers a fee for using credit cards to pay their bills? Wow. I really need to start watching and listening to now with Dave Brown. <laughs> it's hard that you're not my boss anymore. So, know, like, there's no more I obligation know. for you to listen to the show. I'm going to swing for the fences here and go with Rogers. That is incorrect. I'm sorry, Andy. Uh, heading over to Ryan. You can actually go, go for two here if you want, or you can get the options. Let's go with Bell Media. That is incorrect. Alex, a chance for two, or do you want the options? No, I know it. It's TELUS. My goodness. Alex Smythe is scoring so many points, I'm running out of room on my score Dave, sheet paper. Dave, I want to continue you hosting and writing the questions. I'm doing well. <laughs> you know, we can continue this going forward. I have no objections to this. Paul Daniels not allowed to be sick anymore. Uh, now, some of you may be wondering, Dave, that's a really old news story. Yes, Michelle McQuiggan, I did talk about it a few weeks ago in her segment. But last week, the CRTC sent TELUS a letter stating they need more time to make a ruling on TELUS's request. Question number six, heading over to Ryan. Ryan, which food delivery service can now bring cannabis directly to consumers in the Toronto area? I'll have to take the options here. Is it Uber Eats, Skip the Dishes, or DoorDash? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I feel like DoorDash needs an edge. Maybe they went with that. That is incorrect. Andy? Well, Snoop Dogg is associated with um, Skip, isn't he? Anyway, I would go with that one. I'm sorry, that's incorrect. Oh, Alex, by default? Default, I guess it's uh, Uber Eats, isn't that it? That is correct. Alex Smythe, up to uh, seven up to seven <laughs> points here. Uh, that's right. Now a consumer can uh, both buy their alcohol and their uh, cannabis right there through Uber Eats. Get it right to your door on demand in real time. Not du that I would ever use that service. Uber Eats. <laughs> oh, and Andy, I'm yeah. giving you a point Thank for that. you very much. That's I'm the only way I'm getting a point for that. Joke. That's well done. Andy, Bravo. Andy Bravo. is on the board. <laughs> After two rounds of play, we have Alex with seven, Ryan with two, and Andy with one. But it's one with an asterisk, kind of like the Barry Bonds home run record. It sure is. Coming into round number three, we're almost at the point of formality here, but there's still opportunities for comebacks here, depending on the way the game breaks. Andy, question number one of round number three going to you. Actor Rob. Bobby Coltrane passed away last week at age 72. In what movie series did he have a recurring starring role? I'll need the options. Star Wars, Harry Potter, or Lord of the Rings? 
Got to be Harry Potter. That is correct. Two points for Andy as uh, he played. Uh, oh, gosh, I'm already forgetting the name of Haggard. Haggard the, the, the horrible. Haggard the troll. Eliza, help me out here. You, you know Harry Potter. I know Harry Potter very well. He was the uh, lovable groundskeeper of Hogwarts. There it is. You see, this uh, is why we keep people around on the show who actually are part of pop culture and understand these things. Where I've gone, I've seen two Harry Potter movies, both on dates. I did not pay attention. Ryan, question number eight, coming over to you. CBS's Stephen Colbert will be hosting a charitable fundraiser in November that will feature a sporting competition. What kind of sport will the group of celebrities be playing? I'll take the options. Is it ping pong? Is it air hockey? Or is it pickleball? Let's go with ping pong. That is incorrect. Alex. I'm going to, I don't know this one, surprisingly. It's one of the few I don't know. Uh, I'm going to take a stab at it and say pickleball. That is correct. Alex up to eight points here. Wow. Yeah, they're going to be having people uh, from all over the all over the spectrum, including uh, Sugar Ray Leonard. He's going to be playing some pickleball there on national <laughs> TV on CBS in November, raising some funds. The pickleball revolution continues, continues. Alex. You get the last question, although we're kind of at the point of formality here, but this one was all over the social medias for the last couple days. This band turned heads when tickets for their reunion tour went on sale this week. The lowest ticket price, $300. Who's the band? I'm going to say it's most likely Blink-182. My gosh, Alex is just destroying this. <laughs> nope. I've I've lost track of how many points Alex has scored. Apparently 10 points is how many points Alex has scored. That might actually be a news panel, a news, a news, quiz, uh, a news quiz record. So with that, the winner is... Alex Smythe and Paul Daniel will hopefully be back next week and there will be harder questions and more difficult questions asked of the people around us. Andy, I apologize. I thought I could feed you a couple wins there, but I did not. I'm happy to be the Toronto Maple Leafs in the news quiz. <laughs> yeah. It, does that make Alex the Arizona Coyotes? Because I don't know if that's a compliment. I don't know. I wouldn't dare. <laughs> uh, Andy. I need you... to go into a smaller studio now. Yeah. <laughs> Andy, Relocate. <laughs> well, it makes, this, it makes you look bigger, though, and the studio looks smaller if you do it that way. Andy, have you played pickle? ball no but i've always wanted to i've seen it played and i it's all it's trendy and i mean i don't typically do things that are trendy but i'm curious <laughs> uh yeah i have the feeling it's something i would have loved doing when i uh, had a little more dexterity in my body apparently it's tennis for people who don't really want to run yeah which oh, speaks to me Really yeah. speaks to me, too. The first mention I'd heard of pickleball was my parents in their retirement community in Arizona being, I'm going to play pickleball. I'm like, what is that? Oh, playing pickleball. So I was associated with sort of older folks, but apparently the young people, they like the pickleball. LeBron James posting about it on Instagram last week. Well, the worst part about tennis is the constant chasing of the ball. Yeah. And, you know, regrouping and all that. Who wants to do that? Yeah. <laughs> Ryan, have you tried pickleball? You're hip. You're with it. I've not. I've seen it covered again. A lot of, you know, seniors homes, things like that. I've seen a lot of programming offered, but never paid much attention to what it actually was yet. Alex, have you uh, pickleballed? Have you pickled? I haven't, but that said, if anyone at home is maybe wondering for a pickleball, if it can be accessible, uh, on the level playing field in this last season, we actually did a profile of accessible and adaptive pickleball. So that's always an option for people to go and tune in to level playing field. 
ami.ca or the AMI TV app for Apple or Android. Look up Level Playing Field, some of the excellent work that Alex did before he was a member of the Now with Dave Brown team. Guys, we have about 45 seconds on the clock here. $300 for Blink-182 tickets. I actually sprung for it. Andy, what's the most you'd pay to go see a concert? I don't know if I've ever paid more than $100. I don't think I I have. Ryan, what's the most you'd pay for a concert? Probably around the hundred or so range. I've seen most of my bucket list acts. I've seen Leonard Cohen, Nina Simone. It would be hard to motivate me. I don't know if there's anybody around today I'd really splurge for. And every concert seems to get canceled before it happens anyway. That's, that's also a possibility. <laughs> Alex, what about you? What's the what's the ceiling on a concert ticket? So for me, the most I spent was 150, but that was to get uh, a split between first row and then eight row at Velvet Revolver and Alice in Chains. Uh, I was going to go see Rage Against the Machines until I found out they were charging $200 a ticket for their lowest. And I said, no, that's too much. So clearly 200 is a bit too much for me. I would pay any amounts of money to feel like I'm 18 again. So 300 seemed like a reasonable fee. Andy, thank you for this. We appreciate it. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. Ryan, I'm sorry you couldn't defend your crown. I'll come back for it. And (laughs) Alex, we will talk to you tomorrow. Yeah, I want a banner made, uh, a new uh, champion and record. Um, I'll, I'll talk to Paul about that. Demands, demands. That's Alex Smythe. That's all the time we have for the show today. We'll be back again tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern time. Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.